How many people do you know who struggle with their health? Chances are, whether they show it or not, most of the people in your life do. And chances are, you're one of them. Whether you're dealing with anxiety, depression, endometriosis, acne, eczema, autoimmune, thyroid, Lyme, brain fog, fatigue, or any other symptom or condition, you're far from alone. Living with symptoms has become the new normal. So no more guessing games. It's time to get answers. Welcome to the Medical Medium Podcast. I'm Anthony William. Hey, everybody. We're talking about anxiety. Seems like a simple word, but for some people, it's unheard. When no one realizes who hasn't had it before, it can stop you from driving your car and going to the store. Some have a panic attack at their neighbor's front door. It can be so debilitating, it can take over your world. It comes in all shapes and sizes. It can throw off you enjoying your appetizers. Tummy could flip, head could spin. With anxiety, it changes with the wind. Unless you know the true cause, it's hard to beat it and bring home a win. When people go through it, it gets to the point where they almost lose it. We have to always remember people with anxiety need a real friend. When it comes over you, it's hard to pretend. It can get so bad, it's hard to defend. For some, it feels like it will never end. If you get one day of relief, it's a God send. Shake it off. Be normal. Stop freaking out. It's no big deal. What are you so nervous about? Just take your mind off of it. Do some yoga. How can anxiety be that much of a problem? Are you kidding? Not again. Are you sure you're not faking it or just making it bigger than it is? Why can't you just chill and just take your mind off of it? Try to rest. Maybe you should take some time out for yourself. That'll fix it. Or just sleep more. What did your doctor say? Did he give you a pill? Something to take? Why isn't it better? You still have it? That was weeks ago. I get some anxiety. I hop on the treadmill and get rid of it or run it off. What? You can't? How come? What do you mean you're laying on your bed all balled up and shaking? Anxiety is one of the most misunderstood conditions people are faced with today. And almost everybody who has anxiety has heard of some of these responses or suggestions and even opinions. Unless you've really been there before and faced that evil giant and looked him straight in the eyes, do you really know what it's really like? There are people who say they have anxiety, but that word is more vast than anybody realizes. It's much, much bigger than anyone realizes. Just saying, I have anxiety, doesn't mean... It's at a crippling point. It doesn't mean it's as bad as someone else's anxiety. Many people use the word anxiety as if it's for something really serious, like it's holding them back really bad. But when you crack into it and you scratch the surface and you ask them, describe what you're feeling. It boils down to uh, kind of uneasiness and, I don't know, kind of jumpy these days. And 
uncomfortable. I'm just overwhelmed. And sometimes I'm just too stressed. Don't know what to do with myself, which can still be uncomfortable and as bad enough as it is. But the range of anxiety from 1 to 10 is really 1 to 100,000. From 1 being a feeling of just being lost and sad to 100,000, which is being in the hospital, can't breathe, and you're puking in a paper bag. And you got a nurse in front of you that's saying, you're having a panic attack, sir. We need to respect all levels and manners of anxiety. But just like anything, in order to respect it, you got to understand it. If you want to jump out of a plane, you better know all about the parachute, how it's wrapped, how it's packed, and learn how to pull the cord. Like, where's that cord? Uh, excuse me? Excuse me? Where's that cord? Ah! Whoa! 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 You're going to jump out, and nothing's going to pop out, and you're going to end up as a pancake. If you want to ski down a big mountain after a freezing rainstorm turned it into a sheet of ice, you got to know where the steep parts are or you're going to wind up part of a tree. With anxiety, you need to know its power. And you need to know how to control it, how to live with it, how to fight it, and how to beat it, and how to disempower it while empowering you. Really, how to heal it. Why is it important to understand anxiety? Because no one else does. It's like talking to your friend or family member who knows you have it, but doesn't get it. Hello? Hey. How is it? Uh, it's really bad today. Huh? No, I didn't have to do the paper bag. I can breathe okay. But my legs got weak, and I was on the bathroom floor. I thought I was dying. No, I didn't want to call 911 this time. They're getting sick of me. It's the same old thing. They take me to the hospital on a stretcher with oxygen on my face, and then they tell me I have too much oxygen and I'm going to hyperventilate again. And they say, I just had a panic attack, and they put that on my chart, and they send me home. And they got a chart there just for me now. They say it's anxiety or something. I don't know. It's confusing. It's not that bad right now, but now I'm getting more anxiety just thinking about it and talking to you about it. The doctor? What about him? He said to up my dosage or something. He said up it twice a day. But I tried that and I felt sicker. I think it gave me like heart flutters and heart palpitations. Who goes through this? I went to my psychiatrist the other day. He said there's nothing wrong with me. I told you that already. Yeah, he said I just think too much. Hey, what? No, I tried the remedy you showed me online. You sent me the link. I rubbed the oil all on my chest. It stunk. It gave me more anxiety. I kept on thinking about the smell going up my nose all night. Well, yeah. You told me about the breath work? Yeah, I know. I, I got a panic attack when I did the breath work. Because when I focus on my breathing, my chest gets tight. It just started constricting. I started feeling like I couldn't breathe. But when I took my mind off my breath, I seemed to do better. Huh? Yeah, I know it sounds crazy. It doesn't make sense. It's like weird. It's like, I try this new thing. I think it's working. Everybody says it works. And then it doesn't work. Not with my anxiety. Because it got so bad. Huh? Yeah, I took a walk today. I tried. It's really hard because I still feel shaky, weak. And my brain was just freaking out when I was walking. I can't even get in a car right now. Traffic scares me. I was holding the steering wheel. 
My hands got numb on the wheel. I felt like my arms were going to fall off. Did I eat today? I don't got an appetite, and if I eat, it gets worse. What did I eat today? I got nervous, and I ate a box of cookies. Been nauseous all day. I'm trying to keep my mind off of it, but my stomach just feels so sick. And then my head feels sick. My stomach feels sick. My chest gets tight. I feel like just running, but I can't run. I don't know what to do. It's impossible. This is just one experience with anxiety. It might not even compare to yours. Someone with anxiety could find something really helps them, and then they tell their friend who has anxiety, and it only makes them worse. So let's cover some of the different versions, varieties, and levels of anxiety. Keep in mind that if you're going through any of these, including the most severe that I'm going to discuss, you can heal. You can recover. You can get past it. You can conquer it, and you can get your life back. Look, no matter how severe your anxiety is, no matter how bad it's been, no matter if it comes down the road and gets worse someday or you get your first round of it, always remember, you can beat it. You can live your life the way you desire or want to be, free from anxiety. Now, you can have a blend of all these anxiety versions, sometimes mild, sometimes severe, a little in between. No one's anxiety is the same as someone else's anxiety. They're all different. They seem similar, sound the same, but when you scratch the surface, every single person going through it will have a slightly different variation. You might have tightness in the chest and someone has this creepy crawling sensation running down their spine and they can't sit still. You can have just mild or just severe anxiety or you can be someone who wavers between mild, moderate, and severe. Sometimes it's mild, sometimes it's moderate, sometimes it's severe. What does that mean? Well, mild is it's not so bad, moderate is really hard, and severe is god-awful and horrific. You can have some common anxiety symptoms that aren't so bad for years. Like you can't sleep, your mind's racing, and then they become debilitating crippling anxiety that can keep you from living your life. And then one day you're stuck on the floor, you can't breathe, and you feel like you're having a heart attack. Maybe you had a form of anxiety in the past, years ago, and then something triggered it, and now it's back, like an old friend you don't want to see. Let's start with some mild forms of anxiety, the milder symptoms. You get emotional really easily, it doesn't take much to trigger you. Some days are worse than others, you can be hypersensitive, because there's a deeper reason to why you're feeling this way. You can't put your finger on really why. You're not sure if you're happy, sad, upset, frustrated, mad, or confused. You feel really lonely. Sometimes you're not, and you're okay. You feel like you're missing out on life. You should be someplace, and you're not. You feel like you're supposed to be someplace, someplace else, but you don't know where. You feel like you're not doing what you're supposed to do, your purpose, you want to go do something, go somewhere, be someplace, but at the same time, just want to stay home, curl up in bed, hide away from the world, eat your favorite comfort food, watch your favorite movie, but that triggers you too. It makes you more irritable, worried, concerned, sad, lonely, lost, and even confused. And when someone who cares about you asks, what's wrong? You tell them you have anxiety, or they tell you, you got anxiety. 
And this can lead to some people to want to exercise and start taking care of themselves, but full throttle. But then it flips to not wanting to take care of themselves at all or to do anything good for yourself. No exercise, self-care falls to the wayside. It's either all in or nothing. All in or nothing. And then comes the meltdown in between it all. Going from overwhelmed to thinking you're happy and then the meltdown and thinking you're worthless. Here's another mild kind of anxiety. You feel like you can't sit still. You fidget, you have to get up, constantly move. You feel restless, jittery inside. You might feel kind of itchy, creepy crawly feeling on your spine. Or it's in your stomach, a sense of nervousness in your stomach, unease, a tickle in your tummy. You have to always be on the move, on the run. You can't sit still. It gets worse and you don't want to lay down. You're trying to keep your mind off of it all the time, keep yourself busy, and distract it. Here's another one. Your thoughts are racing. They're racing on things you don't want them racing on, things you don't need to be thinking about. So you try to switch your thoughts, but it's hard to get around what you're thinking about or not wanting to think about. So it's a game of redirecting your thoughts. Like, how do I redirect my thoughts this way? How do I send them this direction? And there's times where you get desperate to get relief from your racing thoughts. They just keep going through your mind over and over and over again, and it gets you upset inside where it's hard to focus on anything else. It's like, let the cat out of the house. Well, I can't really think about that because my mind's racing on something else. What's for dinner? Don't want to eat. My mind's thinking about something else. I got to make that phone call. Not right now. I just got to keep on rewinding these thoughts over and over in my head. It gets frustrating and could even give you a small spurt of anger because you're so sick of it. But it could be mild where it's annoying as heck and it doesn't interfere with your sleep when it's at night, but still really annoying. But sometimes it can stop you from sleeping and your heart races with it. So you got your thoughts going over and over again. You're trying to fall asleep. Your heart's racing with it. And now you're really getting pissed off. Here's one. You feel emotionally upset inside, frustrated, but you're not sure why. Like internally, you're feeling something really bothering you. You feel like something's eking you. It's like something's always there. What is it? It's always there. It's in the back of your mind. It's bothering you all the time and you can't get away from it. You can't put your finger on it. It gets you real emotional. You can't explain it to anyone. When they ask you how you're feeling, sometimes you just want to scream. Maybe you know what this one is like. It happens when someone talks to you. It feels uncomfortable to sit there and listen. You want to get up. You want to run. And if you're stuck there, you feel trapped with them. You can get a headache too, feel kind of weak. Even start to sweat a little bit. You can't relax. This could be someone you even love or love talking to or someone you care about or someone you don't know well, but they're just a friend or maybe it's a friend of a friend and you're meeting somebody, but you have this feeling within yourself. It's inside of you when you have it with everybody. You feel weak in the legs while you're standing there. You get a headache, you even get a little dizzy and you just want to get away. I've seen this one a lot. You feel like there's a strange tickle throughout your body and it makes you want to jump out of your skin. It's in your shoulders, your upper back, your stomach, deep inside your stomach. It gets frustrating makes it hard to focus on things, and you got to keep moving. It's hard to sit and watch a movie or talk to someone. 
Because you feel like you have to keep moving while you're talking to them. Rock back and forth, kind of doing a little jitterbug. And if it's someone that needs your attention, their feelings might get hurt. Because they think you're tuning them out. This feeling can get so intense where it can make you angry. Or with most people who go through this, feel like crying inside. This one's a tough one. You can't sleep at night. It's hard to fall asleep. You don't feel safe. You feel scared about the unknown. You want to fall asleep before anybody else does. It makes you feel safer. You don't want tomorrow to come so fast. You're not excited about tomorrow. It's the opposite. You're stressed out about tomorrow. And when you finally fall asleep, you're dreaming a lot. Your dreams aren't peaceful, though. They're kind of chaotic. They don't make sense. There's this weird animal in the dream, like a wild boar. It's coming out of the woods. You're sitting on the roof of a car. You don't know whose car it is. The sun is like getting weird in the sky. And you're like, I just want to go home. Some are even stressful. You wake up in the morning. You're nervous about starting your day. You feel insecure, even depressed. Here's another mild version. Your hands get sweaty, like really sweaty. Your armpits sweat, get trenched easy, especially when talking to someone. It's like, hey, yeah, what's going on? Oh, nothing. And you're like sweating. Now you're drenching because you're talking to somebody. You're starting to sweat in your armpits. You can feel it too, and you know it. You feel like you're numb at the same time. Your arms and hands can get slightly cold and numb. You can feel like you have a fever too. Your temperature is all over the place. Hot, cold, temperature's everywhere. It's up and down. You got to chill. Now you're hot. Now you got to chill. Now you're cold. But you mostly get cold, even to the point you start shaking. Your teeth can even rattle or chatter a little bit. Let's get into the moderate versions of anxiety. These can be ones that are a little different than the mild, a little more difficult, a little bit more problematic, or just more intense experiences of the mild ones with a different twist. Here's one. You have a hard time sitting in a passenger seat of a car, being driven around by anyone. And you can't wait for the car to stop because you want to jump out. Right when the car stops, you want to just open that door and run out. And there's some people that want to get out of the car while it's driving. They just want to jump out of the car. They know not to. They won't. They won't even do it. Of course not. It's dangerous. It's terrible. But they want to so bad, they feel claustrophobic, they feel restricted, constricted, they feel trapped. And they feel trapped in different places, not just cars, buses, trains, planes. And they feel trapped, not just in cars. So when they're up in the sky in a plane, they're like, I want this plane to land. I'm getting a lot of anxiety. Or if they're on a train, they're like, I need this train to stop because I want to jump out. And they're scared. They're claustrophobic. They feel trapped. You could be someone that would never go on a ride at an amusement park. You get overstimulated easy. Too much noise bothers you. You can get confused if you're being questioned, suffocated on a ride with a few other people. You get suffocated around everyone. It's easy to get lonely and scared. This can happen on and off and be a vicious cycle. Another moderate version is you feel tightness in the chest. It could go up to the throat. It's on and off. Sometimes just once or twice a week, you can get it. And sometimes you can get it every day. You can feel tightness in the pit of your stomach. And when you try to take a deep breath and you're trying to breathe in deep, it feels impossible. 
almost feels like you're straining yourself to try to get a deep breath in. It can feel like the inside of your mouth is swollen, feels dry, parched. You can have a burning feeling in your throat and chest. Or maybe you just feel like you have something restricting you and almost holding you down when you're laying down or sitting down. Here's another one. You're feeling scared, but you don't know why. Your mind is trying to figure it out. You don't know what's going on. You're looking for reasons. You can't figure it out to why you're feeling scared in some way. The scary feeling is unsettling. You can get a weakness in your stomach where you have to put your hand on your stomach as you're standing there talking to someone. Anything spooks you. You're flinching. You feel like ducking and closing your eyes if something is coming your way or you get startled easy. You think you see something, but you're not. You see something in the corner of your eye or you think you see someone in the corner of your eye and you're looking. You know, you turn your head, you look again, turn your head, you look again, and you're just spooked. Your heart is elevating, beats fast. You feel like your adrenaline is up. You go through this periodically, bouts of it on and off. And then you talk to yourself in some courage way, like keep the courage going. It's going to be okay. Push this off. Everything's cool. Keep it together. Keep it together. You find yourself talking to yourself, cheering yourself on. It becomes a head game, a difficult one. Here's one. Your heart races on and off. You break out in sweats. You have difficulty breathing, but it doesn't feel like tightness in your chest. Instead, it feels like tightness in your abdomen, tightness in your stomach. You can't take a deep breath in because it feels like it's in your stomach. This can make you take deep breaths on and off all day long. Like you try, like you're walking along and you're like, okay, take a deep breath in. All right, let me get that breath in. Or you're thinking about it. You're sitting there, you're working and you think about it and you're trying to breathe all the time. You're trying to remedy it, fix it. But it's not like you're in yoga class taking a deep breath. This one's annoying because you're trying to fix a problem you're struggling with. You're struggling with it mentally, emotionally, and it starts to weigh on you. And you're just doing it everywhere. And someone's like, hey, are you practicing that breath exercise I hear that's going around out there? No, man. I'm just fighting for my life. I'm trying to get air in, even though I'm getting air in. But I feel like I need to get air in. But yet, everybody tells me I'm getting plenty of air in. My oxygen levels are high. This is maddening. It starts to wear you out. Tires you right out. This one can be difficult. It's another moderate version. You feel like there's something in your brain tweaking you. It can happen on and off. It's like you're getting short-circuited. You're going along. You're thinking clearly sometimes. And then, short-circuit. Like confusion. There's something in the back of your mind. You can't connect to it, but you're short-circuiting and it's bothering you. And you can't remember what it is that's bothering you sitting there in the back of your mind. Something's there, but you forgot about it. But yet, you haven't forgot about anything. It's just something nagging you back there, somewhere in the back of your brain, in your mind. Sometimes it makes you feel like freaking out because you know there's really nothing there in the end and you start getting all that anxiety creeping up again over and over again. And then... You go through your day wondering what this feeling is inside your head. It stresses you out more. It makes you feel like you're getting an anxiety attack on and off. You keep on worrying about this feeling. You can't get satisfied or be at peace. Someone will ask you, what's wrong? And you say, nothing. Nothing's wrong. Or, I don't know. I just don't feel good. I'm cranky. Maybe I got anxiety. Maybe you have this moderate version. You wake up in the middle of the night. Something woke you up. What woke you up? It was your heart. 
It's racing, hard to breathe. You're confused and scared. When you realize you're not having a heart attack and it's something you've already gone through many times, you try to go back to sleep and you can't. An hour goes by and you're just wired and spooked at the same time. It takes a good two to three hours to bounce out of it and finally fall asleep. If it happens a lot, a few nights a week, then a PTSD starts. You get nervous before going to sleep, afraid it's going to happen again. Here's another one. You wake up in the middle of the night from a bad dream, and then you become scared. You get spooked about anything. Thoughts enter your mind about life, how fast it goes by. Where does everybody go, really, when we all pass away? Bigger questions come to mind. You worry about loved ones. Your thoughts can even creep you out. Is there a ghost? You remember something scary you saw somewhere or heard about somewhere or saw on TV. You get goosebumps, tingles going up your neck and head. You get chills, shakes. It's hard to fall back to sleep. You become obsessed about not feeling safe. You start thinking about your health. This can happen every couple of weeks or once a month or every few months. But while it's happening, it comes with a bout of anxiety because you're sitting there in the middle of the night. You're spooked about everything and anxiety just starts creeping up. And if this happens night after night, like it does for some people, you start losing sleep and then losing more sleep. And then it becomes a vicious cycle. And then PTSD happens, more anxiety. And now you're just scared to go to bed at night. And then a family member or a friend asks you, how's that problem you're having at night? How's it going? And you just have this emotional meltdown, this moment, and you start to cry. Or you just start to laugh. Here's a common one right here. From the moment you wake up in the morning, you can't sit still. You go, 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 not because you're really that busy, but because you make yourself that busy because you don't want to stop until it's time to go to sleep. And even then, you still don't want to stop. You got to keep moving all day long. Keep yourself as busy as possible. By the end of the day, you're afraid to call it quits. You don't want to go to sleep. The minute things calm down and you wind down, you feel like, whoa, I need something to do because it's hard to be in your own skin, anxiety. And the minute things do slow down and the rest of the world winds down to go to sleep, you get depressed. You feel sadness and that anxiety just creeps up more and more. It's like you suppressed the anxiety all day long, kept yourself busy enough to push it down. And you don't want anyone else falling asleep before you you don't want to be alone. Okay, let's talk about more severe varieties of anxiety. These ones, a lot harder to deal with. One is the straight out panic attack where your chest tightens, whole body goes numb, can't feel your extremities, your legs are so weak you can't stand up, your heart is racing like you can't breathe, and you feel like nothing can save you or stop it. And why won't this end? And how did it get this bad? And you think you're the only one who goes through this and feels this way. Another kind of panic attack is where your chest tightens and you feel like you can't even breathe. You can't grasp air. You can't catch a breath. Feels like your throat and chest is so tight, air won't go in. You can black out and your lungs don't feel like they're working. Your chest feels like it won't expand and you get dizzy. You can't get your words out. You feel like you got the air knocked out of you. 
You want to scream, cry at the same time, but nothing comes out. You may even try to run to another room, like you're running from a bear, running for your life from something scary, but it stops you in your tracks and the panic takes over. You think you're dying and you're in fear and panic. It's terrible. Another severe type of anxiety. Any thought you have elevates your anxiety and worsens it. Can even put you in a panic to the point where you have to think about what you're thinking. And be careful to not think about things that could set it off. Any stressful thoughts. Anxiety can get so bad, positive thoughts can trigger it. Any thought. It's like, talk to a friend and you're like, think positive thoughts, man. Just think some positive thoughts. You're like, dude. I am thinking positive thoughts, but you don't get it. Any thought just triggers it, and I get an attack. Also, you get nervous about what anybody's going to say. Are they going to say something bad? Is it going to be good? What is it going to be? This can be so hard. Here's another one. You're sick to your stomach, and it's not because you had something bad to eat. Your stomach is always nauseous. You have no appetite. Your stomach feels like it's in knots. It's right in the pit of your abdomen. When you eat, you feel like throwing up. You hate the food you're eating because you think it's your food that's doing it when it's not. But yet you want to eat, but you start doubting your food. The nausea comes and goes on and off, but yet it's always there. This type of anxiety can bring on an eating disorder, not because you have an eating disorder, but because you feel so sick. You start doubting everything. You doubt it out of fear. You're just scared. You get a tension in your shoulders that won't go away. The back of your head. Your arms feel weak. Your body feels weak. And everybody's always telling you to eat something. Another severe version is you're going between bad panic attacks and mild panic attacks. The mild panic attacks, you get kind of adjusted to. It's like, okay, okay, I can handle this. I can deal with that one. I can live with that one. There's like a comfort zone there because the heavier panic attacks are just god-awful. Your heart races, your whole body goes numb, you can't breathe, you can barely stand. But it's not always like that. You go up and down, bad to worse, bad to worse again. You sweat and your thoughts even race. You're worried it's going to happen again. Is it going to be the real bad one, the bad panic attack? Or is it going to be the mild one? Oh God, phew, it's the mild one. I can handle this one. Oh, wait, it's the bad one. Nope, it's the bad one. And it's really hard on people. Probably one of the hardest things. Here's a common one. You can't drive. Getting in a car triggers a panic attack. Can't go anywhere. Can't take long walks either or exercise. You can't get too far from the house or your apartment or wherever you live. You're afraid you're not going to make it back. You'll have a panic attack on your way there. You'll feel like, whoa, I can't make it that distance. It's too long. I'm going to have an attack on the way there. You'll feel like you won't get there in time. Here's one right here. You have a panic attack and you can't breathe. You can't feel your body. You hyperventilate. And then you go unconscious. You pass out. And then you wake right up. And you're fine. You're okay. But it's a scary ride. And it happens again. And again, the combination of the adrenaline rush while hyperventilating pushes you into a spasm and you just shut down, but you revive on your own. It's like, I'm awake again, as if it never happened. 
because everything relaxed and calmed down. You're not going to die. Those are just some experiences, some varieties of anxiety. There's thousands. But what if, what if you're someone who has aches and pains, ticks and spasms, ringing in the ears, vertigo, heart palpitations, tingles and numbness, migraines, brain fog, neck pain, back pain, jaw pain, sciatica, right? Any of you got that? Chronic fatigue, eczema, psoriasis, or any skin condition, depression, OCD, PTSD, lupus, Lyme, thyroid disorders, adrenal fatigue, and you're dealing with a panic attack, and you're struggling with some form of anxiety. These symptoms on top of anxiety and these conditions on top of anxiety make it even more difficult for people. Let's talk about bonuses, anxiety bonuses, conditions that affiliate themselves with anxiety, that are connected to anxiety. OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. These two go hand in hand a lot of the times. If you're someone who has to check the door or stove, car tires to see if the air is right, gas levels in the car all day long, maybe your thoughts are repetitive, they get stuck in cycles over and over and over again, making sure the windows are shut in your house, making sure they're shut in your car, back to your house, back to your car, back to your house, then you look out the window of your house to the car. Anxiety can coexist with OCD thoughts. These thoughts repeat themselves and you're unable to let them go and it just becomes something you're worried about. Anxiety can creep up and be hand in hand with your OCD thoughts. Another condition that goes hand in hand with anxiety is depression. You can have anxiety at the same time as you have depression. And that's when it's really hard. Or most commonly, after the anxiety has subsided. And now you're in depression mode. You had your anxiety attack, now it's depression. Anxiety attack, now it's depression. The hard part is when your doctor's asking you, how's your anxiety going? And you're talking about it, and then, but my depression's really bad right now. And next time you see your doctor and they're like, how's your depression going? It's like, well, my anxiety is really bad right now. Same thing with friends. They're like, how's that depression doing? You're like, well, anxiety, I'm really suffering with that right now lately. They're like, well, I thought it was depression. They're like, it is depression, but right now it's anxiety. After the anxiety is really bad, you get this feeling of worthlessness, shame, guilt, sadness on a deep level, disconnected. All of it, right after the anxiety, the depression hits worse. Then you feel like there's a part of you that's lost, that you're not connected, deep sadness occurs, and then the anxiety starts to creep up, creep up, creep up, and you're lost in that anxiety mode now. Another one is PTSD. When you're suffering in fear from an experience or trauma you've gone through, the flip side is anxiety. It's like going through that hard time, and then when it's subsiding, the anxiety comes up. They can be at the same time, but a lot of times it's one or the other, one or the other. You're in PTSD mode or anxiety mode. And then there's depersonalization. You feel disconnected, lost. You don't even know who you are. You lose sight of your purpose. You can't seem to get in touch with who you are as a person. You could feel like you're outside of your body or like you're in a bubble. And then the anxiety hits and you're back and forth between anxiety and depersonalization. And the anxiety wakes you up. 
it like takes you out of depersonalization for a little while and you're running around and you got the anxiety or you're struggling with the anxiety and your mind is kind of more clear. And then when the anxiety subsides, you're back to depersonalization. And then there's ADHD. You're confused, can't focus, can't concentrate. Your attention is scattered. You're struggling to function, can't get anything done. And then the anxiety hits. On top of having ADHD, you're battling anxiety, both combined. And then there's bipolar. You're struggling to stabilize. You hit real lows emotionally. It's hard to get out of the funk. Can't function. Maybe you were manic. And then you start coming out of it. You stabilize. You strengthen. Emotions balance out. You start to function. And then anxiety hits and robs you of that chance to be stable for the moment. And now you're battling anxiety when really it's the last thing you need because you're coming out of a difficult situation emotionally, the struggle. You're now on a high, racing to get things done and catch up, and the anxiety is kind of sneaking up behind you and cramping your style, setting you back, throwing you a curveball. It's the last thing you need. Let's talk about emotional triggers that can cause anxiety. If you are really badly hurt emotionally, took a serious emotional blow, you had a great loss, maybe a terrible accident, the emotional center of your brain could get temporarily injured. An anxiety condition could begin if there wasn't one already there. If you had a mild anxiety problem before an emotional blow, then it worsens it. Emotional hardships can trigger panic attacks and crippling anxiety, really pushing people over the edge. But over time, it will heal on its own. Your body wants to heal from these emotional blows. Your brain does. But if there's another emotional hit coming around the corner and you get sideswiped, because that happens all the time, another emotional bullet coming your way, creating a new wound. When we get hurt emotionally, we can get that PTSD. Then we're in this vicious cycle and it's hard to heal right away or heal fast. You just have to have patience. And then when we get another emotional wound, it amplifies and escalates our anxiety unearthing the original emotional wound, uncovering it. And then we get betrayed, someone stabs someone in the back, wronging them, a relationship that didn't work out, being cheated on, heartbreak, a friendship where the friend turns against you, or a stressful divorce. We sustain an initial shock, a blow. We get hit. And then three things happen. First is the emotional center of our brain receives the information, sends a signal throughout the entire brain, which then sends another signal to your adrenal glands. Your adrenal glands break open the fire hydrant and adrenaline gushes out everywhere. And now you're in fight or flight. The second thing that happens when you get an emotional blow is that adrenaline is corrosive and it fills the brain. It starts to heat the brain cells up, the neurons, the neurotransmitters in the emotional center of the brain. The adrenaline is there to protect you while you hear the breaking news. You're in shock. This is the physical part of the emotional blow. And then your brain gets hot. The adrenaline makes it hotter. It's for the moment to get you through this hard time. Your brain heats and heats and heats up on purpose in that area. So electricity can fire at its highest point. Adrenaline is the gasoline on that fire. The flame hits the adrenaline, and then now, boom, you're responsive. You got clarity. You could think. You could protect yourself. You can make a decision. 
give me that news. What is it? Oh my God, what happened? And boom, the adrenaline's there to protect you. It's there to give you strength to battle whatever it is you're up against that's giving you emotional hurt until you can find a safe place to cocoon and shore yourself in. This overheating that occurred can create a callus, scar tissue from brain cells being cauterized, burned from the heat, burned out. And then if it happens more than once, like twice, three times, four times, depends on how big the emotional loss is and hardship is, then we're in trouble. More brain cells burn, more calluses happen. And then the first panic attack happens. And you're in the bathroom, you're sitting on the toilet, you're sweating, you don't feel good, you can't breathe. And you get up and you look for a paper bag or you call 911. Or it's just a slow creeping anxiety that creeps up in the morning, goes all day long. At the end of the day, it's worse and worse. Next day, it's worse and worse. And it's just anxiety every day. And there's so many versions. There's thousands of them of how it happens and how the anxiety comes on. Many of them I discussed already and thousands more. And if it keeps on happening over and over again, the emotional blow keeps on going and keeps on going. Like if your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you, then you're back together again. The wounds start healing up and then you're broke up again. And then you're back together again. The wounds start healing up and then you break up again. But this time somebody cheated on somebody and now we're even in bigger trouble. Little pockets of that brain tissue are getting smoked. They're getting smoked out in the emotional center of the brain, just getting burnt and fried. And then your neurotransmitters throughout your whole brain are trying to compensate for the burnout. So they start to diminish and get depleted. And then you become sensitive. You're now not even willing to start a new relationship. You're too wounded. You're too hurt. This can be a physical protection and even a soul protection, trying to keep you safe so you can heal, heal from the burnout. This can make you allergic to anyone. Anyone that hurts you emotionally, anyone that hasn't hurt you, you could get sensitive fast, sensitive with names of people, all of it, just hypersensitive. You can get allergic to jobs, responsibilities of all kinds, anything. And when we're dealing with serious emotional challenges, overwhelming challenges, difficult ones, harmful ones, hurtful ones, some of that brain tissue could get cooked. And when that brain tissue gets cooked, cauterized, Electricity can't run through it easy. And then electrical impulses that are all running around your brain are hitting these pockets of microscar tissue, hardened tissue that's been burned and damaged. Damaged neurons are trapped within that tissue. Electrical impulses can't find them. It can't go in the path it used to go on. And now the electricity in your brain has to find a new path. It has to find a new place to go. Electrical impulses... They have to know where they're going and they have to find new neurons. They have to find their way around that scar tissue, that burned out tissue, that calloused. Neurons control different parts of your body. They send messages to every gland, organ, and nerve. The emotional center of the brain has a direct connection to your vagus nerve and phrenic nerves, the nerves that make the most noise with anxiety. And then the short circuit happens between these neurons and your vagus nerve. It's enough of a disruption that could overwhelm the brain, causing short-circuit anxiety, a crisis, even on a mild scale. The more emotional hardships that happen, the brain gets hot again and hot again and hot again. More calluses develop, more anxiety attacks are on the way. 
The third thing that happens is your soul sustains a wound, the part of you that isn't physical. Every time you sustain an emotional blow, your soul gets knocked out of your body and hovers close to you, sits beside you. This is a protective measure. It protects your brain and your soul. The soul needs to be out of the emotional center of the brain when that bad news comes. If it stays in, it's susceptible to the burning and overheating and callousing of the brain tissue. Your soul gets ejected, propelled out of your body from the emotional slam. It needs a little distance until things calm down, and then it comes back to you. That's the day you wake up one morning after being cheated on and say, I could do this. I can get out of bed. I can get dressed and maybe start my life again. But if you keep on getting wounded over and over again, a disconnect occurs between your soul and your physical brain, the emotional center. Your soul stays out of body too much. Then fear fills in the gap. And that fear gets in the way of starting a new path, a new partnership, a new relationship, trusting a new friend, healing a wound with a family member, starting a new job, trusting yourself, sleeping good. It just gets in the way. And if the person that created emotional upheaval in your life reaches out to you and you have become allergic to them from the harm they caused you, it could continue to trigger bouts of anxiety. So then you get that allergic reaction. It can be a knee jerk, a reflex response. Your adrenaline starts to pick up, your heart rate picks up, and you're on guard. And you're nervous about what could happen, what they could say. So as you're standing there, and the person that hurts you is talking to you, there's a warning sign going off in your brain. Warning, warning. Because when you healed up from the first injury, all these new neurons, neurotransmitters, and new brain cells all align themselves in the area that were injured. These brain cells and neurons have specific neurotransmitter chemicals. They are geared specifically for the injured area now. They're your protective warning signs. They send signals. There's information being passed around from your neurons through brain cells, neurotransmitters that actually alert and and communicate that you've been injured. And now possibly you're going to get injured again. Now, all of this determines if your soul is going to be ejected out of your body again. So when that person that hurts you starts talking, if they say something that's really damaging, really hurtful, really harmful, Your soul could be ejected out of the body in that moment. And then your brain starts heating up, getting hotter and hotter quickly too. Your adrenaline starts to actually eject a little bit. And then the vagus nerve and phrenic nerve gets hypersensitive. They get the signals. There's a warning sign. There's a problem. And you got the anxiety creeping up. And as your adrenaline starts to surge, you're getting ready for fight or flight. Are you going to run? Are you going to stay? Are you going to call someone? When you've really been wounded, this process can happen because of anybody talking to you, any kind of confrontation, any kind of stressful situation. All these alarm bells ring when you're really sensitive and you've been hurt really bad. So a knee-jerk response occurs. You become allergic to the person or situation you're up against, something stressful. So a safety mechanism happens and you're sensitive. This is to stop the heat in the brain so a new cauterization doesn't start and be on its way. But as you heal over time, heal those wounds and get better, 
and stronger and stronger every day, you become less sensitive and you have less anxiety to the point where you're not phased unless another emotional hardship comes your way. And even then, there's ways to strengthen and heal to be strong for anything. Soul wounds vary from person to person. All of our souls are unique. When our souls are injured, it's hard to trust anymore. Making decisions can be more difficult. Our spirit can weaken. Our will can diminish. Trusting becomes a challenge as your soul is healing. Burned out brain tissue can mend. Calluses and scar tissue can heal. The fear can be expelled. And the soul can return completely to the body. Our soul can heal. If you already have a symptom or a condition and you go through emotional hard times, and if you have anxiety already, then it's anxiety on top of anxiety. Two different causes, two different kinds. And a lot of people have them both. They have anxiety from inflamed vagus nerve because they have low-grade viral infections like Epstein-Barr and toxic heavy metals. They already have anxiety from that. And then they go through an emotional turmoil and get anxiety from that. So now it's two kinds of anxiety and it feels out of control. It's hard to find a benchmark to where you stand. Like, is this my fibromyalgia? Is this my Hashimoto's thyroiditis that's giving me anxiety? Is this the same anxiety as I had years ago? It feels different. Which one is it? Is it anything? It's really difficult. Then it gets hard to read your body. It's hard to know what triggers it. There's just too much going on there. Knowing why you have anxiety and how you're feeling is hard to grasp. I feel like I got anxiety on top of anxiety. Is this anxiety? And then there's people out there that are doing great. Got no complaints. Everything's fine. You talk to them and they just say, life is great. Everything's going fine. Sometimes going amazing. No complaints. Living my life. Being productive. There are many people that feel this way. But then they get anxiety and they can't figure out for the life of them why they're on the phone with 911 because their arms went numb. They can't breathe and they're having a panic attack. I've heard this too many times. Life is going good, but I have anxiety, and I don't know why. I even take a benzodiazepine, you know, medication, and there's no reason why I should have to go through this or live this way. I take one pill every night, or I can't sleep. Living with anxiety is like impeding me, man. It's holding me back from living my best life right now, my best self. I'm struggling with it wherever I go, with everything I do, and my life was so great, and it still is great, but I just, I'm trapped right now, and I don't know why it's happening. Do you know why it's happening? Mystery anxiety, complete and total mystery. Going to the doctor, taking pills, seeing therapists, trying to do every single ointment there is that they could find online, and it's really hard. Everybody has a different experience with unexplained mystery anxiety where there seems like there's no rhyme, no reason to having it. That's when the true causes are much deeper. Toxic heavy metals, like mercury, aluminum, copper, build up in our bodies, and finally get to a point where they start causing trouble, and wham! It could happen when you're young, when you're older. Mercury and aluminum are in everybody's brain. There is no one on planet Earth that doesn't have some form or level of these toxic heavy metals inside their brain tissue. And it all depends on where these metals are that determines what kind of anxiety they're faced with. If you have a little more mercury in the emotional center of the brain versus the frontal lobe, it makes all the difference. Some people have metals sprinkled all about 
all around, everywhere in the brain. Electrical impulses traveling around, electricity hitting all that metal, mercury, aluminum, cadmium, nickel, arsenic, lead, hitting everything. The bumpier the ride those electrical impulses are having, okay, that roller coaster ride all through the brain, hitting all that metal, this could make somebody more susceptible to anxiety. And that kind of anxiety is caused by toxic heavy metals. That's the cause. And then there's viruses. Good old Epstein-Barr virus, low-grade viral infection, can cause a lot of chronic anxiety conditions out there. Epstein-Barr releases what I termed viral neurotoxins. The virus goes to the bathroom and us just pees and poos, and that excretion is highly toxic. Viruses sit inside the liver and live there for a lifetime, producing these neurotoxins. And finally, your nerves say, I can't take this anymore. Even if the virus hasn't caused a condition yet or a symptom like chronic fatigue syndrome or lupus or fibromyalgia or Hashimoto's, still it can create that anxiety. Your vagus nerve and phrenic nerves become allergic to those neurotoxins, just like you become allergic to that person, that toxic situation or that toxic person. The vagus nerve, something I've been teaching people about for over 30 years, runs from her brain, through her neck, down through her chest, and touches the tip of the stomach. When it's inflamed, appetite issues happen, stomach sensations happen, even cramping and other issues. It's the vagus nerve. And when that vagus nerve is inflamed, tightness in the chest, tightness in the throat, burning skin around your chest, weird sensations, tingles and numbness, and then our phrenic nerves, they run from the brain through the neck down both sides of the chest. And they get sensitive too from viral neurotoxins and they get inflamed. That alone can creep up anxiety and get a panic attack going. Viruses like the Epstein-Barr and the shingles, they can cause a lot of harm like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, lupus, POTS, Lyme disease, yeah, endometriosis, PCOS, fibroids, cysts, migraines, and a lot of other conditions too. That's why you could have endometriosis and PCOS and fibroids and mystery anxiety with it because it's viral causing the anxiety and inflaming the vagus nerve and phrenic nerves unless there's emotional hardship, emotional blows, emotional injuries, and then you have two kinds of anxiety right there. And another thing out there not known about anxiety is that emotional blows cause a physical injury. And then the viruses cause a physical injury too. It's not just an emotion or somebody's emotional and that's why they have anxiety. It's an actual physical injury that's developed. And then when you have your own combination of emotional blows, you know, emotional hardships, toxic heavy metals, and viruses, you get your own unique recipe of anxiety. So let's talk about triggers. They're not the root cause, but yet they instigate anxiety. When you're already sensitive and have a history of anxiety, it can be triggered without you having any knowledge of what's triggering it. Some of these are environmental exposures that are overlooked and never in the equation of anxiety. Mold is one of them right there. It lowers the immune system, allowing our viral infections to take over and get away from us, causing our nerves to become inflamed. Air fresheners, they make our air smell so good. Mm, no. Not. It's not good at all. These plug-in and sprayed-out air fresheners out of the can and plugged into the walls leave a chemical-based oily resin in our lungs and sinuses. These chemicals, 
they irritate the vagus nerve and the phrenic nerves. They're antagonistic to them, irritating them. And if they're already sensitive, you got anxiety coming to you if you're using these. And then there's scented candles, colognes, perfumes. They leave a chemical-based residue inside your sinuses, your lungs, going directly to your vagus and phrenic nerves, just like air fresheners do, instigating those nerves, triggering elevated anxiety. People don't know about their anxiety triggers. They would never think it was anything they're doing with their candles or colognes, perfumes or air fresheners. Colognes are one of the bigger anxiety triggers for both men and women. Let me do a YouTube video about my new cologne. Hey guys, I got my boyfriend this new cologne. He really loves it. A couple hours later. Uh, honey, I can't watch that movie tonight. My anxiety is getting really bad. What no one realizes is that cologne is one of the bigger, bigger instigators of anxiety. It attaches itself to the vagus nerve, squeezes it, basically squeezes it. It's a direct antagonizer to the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is highly allergic to cologne. And if you're sensitive, forget it. That's all you need before you end up getting a panic attack. A lot of people who leave their house and they go out somewhere and they're surrounded by people wearing perfume and cologne and fabric softeners, detergents, and other scents, they end up getting really worn out by it. They come home and their anxiety is through the roof. Or their anxiety went through the roof when they were out and they had to get away from it. And many people don't know that's what they have to get away from. They're just in a crowd. They're breathing it all in. And then, oh my God, my anxiety is just creeping up. I can't do this anymore. I got to leave and I got to call it an early night. Or you're just heading out to the grocery store or pick up a few things. Everybody in there is wearing colognes, perfumes. They got the fabric softeners, detergents. They got all of it. It's enough to be a trigger. You get worn out. You get home. Your anxiety's up. It takes a little time to wear off. And you're struggling. Let's talk about pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides, insecticides, lawn fertilizers, weed killers. We're exposed to these every day without realizing it. These are in the air. We breathe in it every day. Everyone is using them. These antagonizers attack our nerves. So if you're already sensitive, it's a definite trigger. They're sprayed around buildings, side of streets, in people's yards, parks, golf courses, inside homes and buildings, inside commercial planes, hotels, and our vagus nerve is hypersensitive to these aggressive toxins. Even new clothing is coated with fungicides. It's important to shower after trying on new stuff that wasn't washed. They also contain toxic heavy metals, these fungicides, pesticides, herbicides, lawn chemicals, insecticides, all of it, all of it. But people love these chemicals. Hello? Uh, hello? Oh, pesticide insecticide company? Uh, can you come spray my lawn and do the inside of the house too? I think the ants are back. Uh, you're going to use the deadlier spray this time? Oh, good. Ooh, wait. Is it safe for my kids? Uh, is it safe for them? It is? Oh, good. Uh, oh, they can't breathe it in though? Okay. Wait, wait. They breathe it in every time though when you guys come. Oh, you just started working there? Uh, you don't know the rules? Oh, hush, hush. You weren't supposed to tell me that? Oh, oh, sorry. Um, well, anyway, the key's in the lockbox. Uh, I have a doctor's appointment for my anxiety. I'll be back later after you're done. What people don't know 
is they expose themselves to this toxic, toxic pesticide, chemical, insecticide stuff, and they're getting poisoned. Their whole family's living in it, playing in the yard, breathing it, even getting it on their skin. The dogs are getting it on them. Then you got the dogs at the vet, and the vet's like, I think your dog's got anxiety. So let's talk caffeine, including coffee, matcha tea, and chocolate for a minute. They're huge, huge anxiety triggers. Caffeine is like an assault on your nervous system. So if you're somebody that's sensitive and you got a little bit of anxiety, that's just going to instigate it and push it over the edge. Even if it's like two days later, three days later, or next week, it's still going to happen one way or another eventually. If you have anxiety already and you're drinking caffeine, you're guaranteeing yourself an episode of some kind from maybe mild to extreme. The smell of coffee can give someone an anxiety attack if they're sensitive. Caffeine evaporates in the air. It's in the coffee fumes. Vapors go right into your lungs and hits the old vagus nerve. If you smell it long enough, you can get an anxiety boost later. Not an energy boost, an anxiety boost. Caffeine is a neuroantagonist, and you don't get away from it by going decaf. It's still caffeine, and it's in there. It's in chocolate and matcha tea, too. God, I got this crazy anxiety today. It's the worst. Uh, What should I do, you think? Chocolate? Really? Do you think that's a good idea? Uh, Oh, it's plant medicine? That sounds better for some reason when you call it that. Okay, chocolate fixes anything. I'll try it. Uh, I love chocolate, too. Uh, Let me see. I'm just having some now. Uh, hmm, I don't feel so good right now. It's starting to bother me. Is but it can't be the chocolate, even though I just had it. No, it can't be the chocolate. Chocolate doesn't hurt anybody. It fixes everything. Uh, huh, I, th- I think I'm having a panic attack. i got to get a paper bag. I've seen it for years. People taking their antidepressants, their anti-anxiety meds, their benzodiazepines, and they're doing it every day. But they're drinking their coffee, eating lots of chocolate. And many people needed the medications for survival, so don't blame them. It's not easy, and when you're dealing with chronic anxiety at its worst, you just look for anything you can get to grab a hold onto and just try to get some help. But when you tell them the coffee and the chocolate's not helping, they look at you like a deer in headlights, or a deer looking at an alien, or a deer looking at a spacecraft landing. Before you get mad at me, check out the coffee, matcha tea, chocolate episode Check it out. And then there's cleaning supplies. Bleach is the big one. Huge anxiety trigger. I always have told people, be cautious with the bleach, whatever you do. Try not to breathe it in. It irritates the vagus and phrenic nerves. It could set off a number of variety of anxiety disorders, and it could last for days. And the bigger the bleach exposure, the longer the anxiety can last. So the more you're exposed or the larger amount of bleach you're exposed to can keep that anxiety around for a long time. People aren't aware that their anxiety condition worsens when they use conventional household cleaning supplies and products. Window spray, hardwood surface sprays, bleach, laundry detergents, conventional soaps, including bars of soap. One bar of soap from a really toxic company can stink up an entire house. And you're inhaling it day after day while wondering, why do I have anxiety? We breathe in a lot of chemical-treated fumes. All of these triggers I talked about are just some of the bigger triggers and exposures. How do we fix anxiety? How do we get rid of it? Can we get better? 
and find freedom and put anxiety behind us? Yes, we can. Even if we can't avoid all the triggers, we still can. We can heal our nerves. We just need to know what to do. Let's cover that now. Emotional healing tools. Three powerful meditations are the moon meditation, brain meditation, and freeze a bird meditation. When applied on a daily basis, these meditations rid stored up fear from the body and soul. They break away the cage of broken trust, betrayal, and loss that are wrapped around our soul and keep us constricted. The very thing that allows emotional triggers to take root and cause harm, instigating anxiety. These meditations draw the poison out of our soul, spirit, and heart and allow our soul to feel safe inside our body once again. To protect us from those out-of-body experiences, to bring our soul back and rid fear. Often, we're being judged, misunderstood, unheard, taken for granted. These become a weight on our shoulders and could hamper us down. These meditations reverse emotional wounds of all kinds, giving us a chance to release our anxiety and heal the emotional center of our brain. You can access the moon meditation, brain meditation, and freeze a bird meditation on this podcast for free. Let's talk about more emotional support that's really helpful for stressful situations. The supplement GABA is very calming for the central nervous system. And the supplement melatonin, it's very helpful for winding down at night and getting a better sleep, supports the neurotransmitters. And lemon balm, it soothes and calms the vagus nerve and phrenic nerves. B12, when under emotional stress, you're burning through your B12 reserves. Your body eats it up when dealing with anything emotional. B12 is critical for the brain. The right kind of B12, it's important for your vagus nerve and phrenic nerves. It's a foundational tool to help with anxiety. Adenosylcobalamin and methylcobalamin is the right combination. And then there's vitamin C. There's a lot of different formulas of vitamin C out there. In my opinion, though, the most gentle is micro-C. Vitamin C is one of the most important ways to support your body during hard times with the emotions. And then there's zinc. It's critical for the immune system, which lowers when we're under emotional stress, allowing viruses to cause more trouble. Zinc sulfate is the best option. If you want to know what supplements that I trust for myself, my friends, and my family, you can go to medicalmedium.com. i got a directory there. I'm not sponsored by the companies nor do I own them. And you could ask your doctor too what's right for you. Quality matters. The right kind of supplements means make or break with your healing and results. You don't want a supplement with preservatives, fillers, no alcohol. You don't want alcohol in there, no citric acid in there, no casea gum, no natural flavors. That cancels out the good it's going to do for you. For more information on supplements and how to use them, check out my book, Cleanse to Heal. You can pick it up anywhere or get it free at the library. So let's talk about fruits, leafy greens, herbs, wild foods, and vegetables for anxiety. Potatoes, red, russet, gold, they're a healing, comforting food. It's a tool for sensitive vagus and phrenic nerves. Potatoes can soothe a vagus nerve that's inflamed, allowing someone to get relief with anxiety or any other neurological symptoms. Don't add oil, butter, cheese, sour cream, or any other dairy to your potatoes. The best way for the glucose in potato to help soothe the nerves is by steaming them. That's the special technique for calming inflamed tattered vagus and phrenic nerves. 
Potatoes are also antiviral for low-grade viral infections. Let's talk bananas. Bananas are gentle on the nerves and provide potassium, which is a critical trace mineral to support the neurons and neurotransmitters. When going through emotional hardships, electrolytes are necessary. Bananas are high in trace minerals, glucose, and electrolytes. They're soothing for the central nervous system. Sweet potatoes. There are multiple varieties that provide a rich glucose for the brain and nervous system, helping to soothe emotional struggles and helps to cool the brain down from overheating. Spinach for trace mineral salts. Neurotransmitters get burned out from emotional blows. And spinach stems and leaves are high in sodium naturally occurring in them. Also high in trace minerals, eating two cups of spinach a day can help restore depleted, burned-out neurotransmitters and neurons. Papaya, gentle and soothing for the vagus nerve, especially if you suffer from digestive problems from your anxiety. Papaya is really gentle. It's also antiviral and antibacterial. Try eating a half to one per day. Maridol or Red Caribbean are best. To help get toxic heavy metals out of the body and brain, it takes a combination of herbs, fruits, and wild foods. The medical medium heavy metal detox smoothie is the most effective way to remove these toxic heavy metals. It has helped countless people already reclaim their lives back. It contains a combination of wild blueberries, cilantro, Atlantic dulse, spirulina, and barley grass juice powder. The details matter. Wild blueberries, not cultivated blueberries. A cultivated blueberry will not remove toxic heavy metals out of the body. Barley grass juice powder, not barley grass. So many people ask me, what do I put in my heavy metal detox smoothie? I use the Wyman's wild blueberries, fresh cilantro, the Vimergy barley grass juice powder and spirulina, Atlantic dulse, and fresh orange juice or coconut water, and bananas. You can get the recipe at medicalmedium.com or in Cleanse to Heal. Now let's talk about how to address the other cause of anxiety, viruses. We need to go antiviral. We need to kill them off. A lot of the tools we just covered that helps with the viruses like Epstein-Barr and shingles, and it helps to do what we need to do. But there's other things too to remember, like what viruses eat. So we got to get some things out of our diet. We got to get milk, cheese, butter, yogurt, cream gluten, corn, soy, and eggs out of our diet. If you're getting upset about avoiding eggs, listen to the egg episode. It's best to avoid these foods when trying to heal from chronic anxiety. Nutritional yeast is another anxiety maker. The chemical compounds in nutritional yeast heighten anxiety by irritating the vagus and phrenic nerves. Let's talk about helpful teas for anxiety overall. Lemon balm tea, that's a great one. Hibiscus tea... That's a great one too. It's got the phytochemical compounds that coats the nerves in the digestive tract, including the vagus nerve, almost having a gentle numbing effect naturally occurring to give relief on the vagus nerve. Licorice root tea supports the adrenals and it's antiviral. It's also soothing on the nerves. Nettle leaf tea, phytochemical compounds help restore brain tissue when becoming overheated from emotional trauma. Spearmint tea has a cooling effect on the vagus and phrenic nerves. It's very soothing. Thyme tea, it's antiviral and antibacterial. And then there's celery juice, herbal medicine to help restore neurotransmitters and depleted neurons. Sodium cluster salts and celery juice are a complete electrolyte 
And that's what you need. Celery juice is critical for emotional and physical caused anxiety and one of the most important tools. It's already helped thousands of people recover from anxiety. Make sure you don't add anything to it. No lemon, no ice, no water, no anything if you want it to really work. Work up to 16 to 32 ounces daily in the morning on an empty stomach for quickest results. When you have anxiety, it can feel like it's never ending. Having it for more than an hour is hard enough. Having it for a lifetime is a lot to bear. It's essential to know that you will get past this point in your life, that you will overcome this time frame that seems to be so daunting and hard. You need a place, a golden nugget of truth, deep down inside your soul, that you will put this struggle far behind you and never have to face it again. The time will come that you will overcome this trial in your life and anxiety will no longer rule your world. It's time to hold your head up high with a knowing that you have everything it takes to see the healing you deserve blossom right in your hands as you never look behind you again because you know you are free. This feeling is hard to express. No one understands the level of distress. Why can't anyone ever see the difference I'm up against, the struggle inside, the difference in me? Leave me alone. I'll run and hide to be free. Just let me be. No, wait. Just be with me. Do they even know you're being pressured to always put on a show while hiding these uncomfortable sensations as you're being pushed to your last nerve? They seem like they're gonna go. Who knows if someone else going through this very pain would concur. Tell me this now. Is it me? Is it you? Who must we all serve? Is it above us all? Since it feels like we can't fix it down here, what about up there? High up, away from this earth? Is the answer there for my nerves? Is it peace we're searching for? It's peace inside of you that you truly deserve. I've been so busy monitoring my emotional reserves. I'm giving it everything I got to preserve I just need a helping hand. I can use a safe place to land. I'm not asking for a grandstand. I know I get so sensitive. Sometimes I feel like a baby lamb. I need to get past this unease. This is no way a disease. I'm tired of my nerves getting slammed. What I'm looking for is a grand slam. I know what it's like to be under the gun. My nerves push me away from seeing the sun. I've been patient seeing everyone else have all the fun. Closing my eyes so much of the time feels like I've been shunned. Sometimes snow blind, this feeling inside of me has me on the run. In times of trouble, I retreat into a bubble. Just give it to me straight. Hand it over now. It's time for a blank slate. Bring me back to the days when I was in a normal state. Not like it feels now, going from subtle to a pile of rubble. One minute it's calm and slows down, another it's full throttle. I know a part of you feels like it's lost and gone, 
It was left behind you a long time ago. You know the old song. When the emotional wave rolled through you as you wondered, what did you ever do wrong? But this isn't how it's always going to be. I don't care what it takes. You will be set free. Does it matter if we have to call upon the powers that be? We'll do whatever it takes until you're able to see. This emotional sorrow is not going to last forever. I know you want it gone tomorrow. We will turn back time. We can borrow. It's time to heal, strengthen your will. You can put this chapter in a box, place it on the top shelf where no one can reach it but yourself. Your nerves will no longer be breached. Even if it feels like anxiety is a monstrosity, you will be unfazed. That's your future. You will no longer have to be besieged. Your mind in a glaze. Your soul is powerful. You're bold. No one can buy you. You can never be bought or sold. You can rise out of the ashes. See, I believe in you. And I know you can heal.